What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is crack-a-lackin', Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli coming at you without my fantabulous co-host, Adam Frommel. I'm also coming to you on the heels of a pretty busy trade deadline. I thought we had a nice balance of impact trades being moved. No superstar, but we had an all-star in Vooch. Victor Depot's a two-time all-star. He's made an all-NBA team, and he's at least interesting on the heat. George Hill to the Sixers. Kyle Lowry wasn't moved, but it kind of seemed like he might have actually been a Laker. At, could have been a Laker, excuse me, at one point, which is something I doubt any of us saw coming that close to the trade deadline. Uh, Aaron Gordon to Denver stuff is super interesting. Of course, we're going to get into it all. I bring on my good friend and colleague, Grant Hughes, at GT underscore Hughes. He really does a great job covering the, the NBA. He's a great writer. If you haven't checked him out, again, at GT underscore Hughes, spelled exactly as it sounds. Before we dive into this, and it's a long pod, so I'm going to try and make this sub two-minute intro happen for you. Remember to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes, whether or not you use it. Five-star ratings only, even if you're going to criticize us. Trust me, I read them all. I saw the we recently got a four-star one because we're almost perfect. I will try and branch out a little bit more with my takes where I am a little bit hesitant to probably get too hot takey because I don't want to get slaughtered, but I'll say more of what's on my mind so long as I believe that I'm informed enough to make it. That being said, come on, five-stars only. Rate, review, helps us out a ton on iTunes, whether you use it or not. Definitely just subscribe and download this podcast wherever you're getting your podcast. Please continue to do so and recommend us on Twitter. Bump us. Shout us out to your friends, family members, coworkers, acquaintances, random people. Just let them know that Hardwood Knox, one of the best sub-mediocre national basketball podcasts in the business. Follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Go to YouTube and follow us as well. YouTube.com, search Hardwood Knox. We will come up there. You can catch all of our podcasts on YouTube as well. And finally, follow the Sports Math Network as that is going to be the home for a lot of the, the stuff that uh, the M, you know NBA math, MLB math, QB math, all under that one umbrella. It's at the underscore sports underscore math. Let's get into the trade deadline, the fallout, winners, losers, buyout candidates, just analyzing a bunch of the big deals and some of the smaller ones with Bleacher Reports, Grant Hughes. Grant, welcome back to the Hardwood Knox podcast. It has this time, unlike last time, not been just like five days since I last had you on. It's been went almost two months. So, so how are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, I am I'm frankly most excited that at least for a few days, I'm not going to have to come up with any fake trades anymore because we're post deadline now. And now it's just let's look at how the teams are uh, as they exist instead of imagining how else they might exist in the future. So that's got me pretty stoked. What did you think of the trade deadline, though? Did it you know exceed, miss, just meet your expectations when looking at the action and even if not the number of moves, the scale of those moves? I would. Oh, that's a good question. I haven't thought about it like in its totality. I thought it was a pretty good trade deadline. I, I I can remember like the ones you don't want are where nothing happens at all for the first. You know, basically nothing happens until like three hours before the deadline. But then the worst are the ones where nothing happens. The one where Luke Ridnour got traded like four times in fifteen minutes. I forget what year that was. It could have been like twenty fifteen or something. Uh, 
that those ones where everything happens in the last half hour, I hate those because those are just like you can't keep them straight. This one had a nice pace to it, um, and the scale like a couple all stars uh, or at least one. I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody besides uh, Vucevic, but I guess there was some like a, Oladipo an all star. He Oladipo was at one point all NBA baby. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I thought it was a good one. I, and there were some exciting things that I did not expect to happen. And then some ones that just like made too much sense not to happen. So you had a good mix. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you that it had a nice pace because it normally it feels like nothing really happens until 12 and then they right. just keep coming. And like you said, it gets hard to keep up with. We kind of got started at like nine thirty, ten 10 a.m. Eastern time. It was the JaVale McGee trade uh to denver and then it kind of you know there were points at one point it did snowball you had like the you know the the five seismic deals at once or whatever well not seismic but five moves at once but we closed with sort of a whimper right it was only like in the last hour what were there maybe was there two was there three it was the and i think the biggest of them was rondo at that point when looking at the late part of the deadline so i didn't think it was a bad one there definitely felt and i know trade deadlines are exhaustive and you get repetitive at some point but I just felt like we were recycling through the same names and scenarios so much more than normal. And I don't know what it was about. I, I don't want to criticize any reporting because that's a very hard job to have those sources. But Sharania, Sham Sharania tweeting out all these trades without details was just like, dude, you know, we need those. We need those deets. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to grade these trades. Can you give us the details? <laughs> but it was just denver like confirming that denver acquired aaron gordon three times without telling us anything that was involved in the deal yeah well you need to know about those pick protections and all that good stuff that but which does really matter especially if you're trying to grade it like but i i kind of enjoyed like because i wasn't doing a grades piece while this was happening so i i get to say this like i enjoyed just the sort of broader strokes and i was as i was keeping track i was keeping it simple until the details came out and it was just like Aaron Gordon to the Nuggets. That's what 90% of people who care about basketball need to know about this transaction. But for everybody else, it like the picks and, you know, not so much for that trade, but like, for example, the Vucevic trade to the Bulls, the, those picks matter and what, you know, what they are and when they are and what the protections are. Um, no, I, I, so I think like another thing you made me think of was, I think this deadline was as notable for what happened as what didn't um, because and maybe this is a function of we spend so much time and energy leading up to the deadline, like months in advance, thinking about likely trade candidates and landing spots and packages and making up this and that and the other, that you sort of are prepared in some capacity, or you've at least thought about almost everybody being traded. But then when some of the bigger names that have been rumored a lot, just like Lonzo Ball, for, for example, like when he doesn't move. Like that's kind of as notable as anything to me, and there are several others, many of whom will be bought out, and we'll, we can get to that. But um, I think that was another kind of striking feature of this deadline is what did not happen. Yeah, the I, I guess I never expected the restricted free agents to get moved because they're like Collins, Lonzo Ball, their value was just so tough to pin down. Uh, I didn't think I didn't want the Raptors to trade Kyle Lowry because I want there to be a chance that he gets to actually play again in in Toronto since they're in Tampa right now. But it did seem like they were going to move him. And then I thought the Kings were going to sell someone, whether it was Rashawn yeah. Holmes, Barnes, Buddy Heald, even uh, I thought that was going to be on the table. And the fact that it wasn't was a little surprising. They actually, they acted as buyers. Basically they sold off Bielitsa, but they acquired redacted and they 
uh, also picked up Delon Wright, which is a move that I actually you know thought was fine. But uh, I saw Kings fans were actually pretty unhappy because you know for the cap geekeries out there, they only have early bird rights on Holmes, and so you can pay him up to about ten point five million this year before you go into cap space. And I would hazard that he's going to get more than that just because I, I think he's – I haven't dug too deep into it. I think he's the best center on the market this summer. Oh, wow. I have to Maybe look Mitchell Robinson if, if the Knicks decline his team option and let him become a restricted free agent. Like even if Abaka declines his player option, I'm just – I'm struggling to find someone who's better than him. You know, he's really good at just, you know, the – the continuing degradation of uh, what teams are willing to pay centers might keep him within that, under that $10 million figure. I don't know. Um, but I'm, I was, yeah, the Kings, I'm surprised Bagley didn't go anywhere. I mean, what does that oh, yeah. say about his market? Because it seems like they're just, they're done. If he's, if he's healthy, does he get moved though? Because he's injured right now, does it does become a little bit easier in that regard? Maybe, maybe. maybe. I mean, you know, I don't know. I just have always been out on him, so I'm maybe not the best person to ask. But like, I, I, yeah, the injury certainly doesn't help. I don't know. Um, you want to talk about Lowry? I mean, you. I guess I hinted at him, and you mentioned him. What direction do you want to take this? Yeah, look. Let's just talk about. Uh, let's just go back. Let's just ping pong some winners and losers here. If you want to start with the Raptors, uh, you're the guest. What do you peg them as after the looking at what they actually did at the deadline, and obviously what they didn't do? Um. <sighs> I guess if they have to be one or the other, they're a winner. Um, the, so the I, the Lowry thing, it, you know, we'll find out in the coming days, I think, sort of what contributed to him not moving. I imagine it had as much to do with the, the Sixers or Heat, just probably the Sixers, because I feel like if the Heat had wanted to, they could have included Tyler Hero and the deal probably could have got done, some, you know, somewhere or another. Um, but I think the Raptors do fine, like, in theory, yeah, you know, you you run the risk of him leaving in free agency and you didn't get anything for him. But uh, I don't know. I guess at some point, like, I like the, the feeling that he had some control over where he was going to go. And if, and, you know, it was at least working in tandem with the organization to say, like, yeah, the, you know, they're saying this is the package we can get. We don't really like it. Do you want to go here? I assume that's sort of how it went because he has such you know, favored status, deserved favored status of the organization. I like the feel of him just being there. I, 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 it feels right that he's a Raptor. I think if he had left, he would do the thing where he comes back and retires as a Raptor anyway, but it just, I don't know. It might've felt kind of cheap had he left. Um, but then to kind of, you know, the Raptors had a, made another move. They traded Norm Powell for Gary Trent Jr., which um, I think on the one hand, and I wrote about this today, that feels like a, we're taking a longer view move because um, Trent's 22. He's restricted. That gives them a measure of control that they wouldn't have had over Norm Powell, even with, you know, bird rights. Powell, I think, is probably going to command more on the market than Trent. Uh, but I think there's a real legitimate case to be made that, like, say, just for next year, starting next year, Trent will be the better, more valuable player because it's fairly close now. Trent, I think, is the better defender, younger, cheaper, all that stuff. So, if you flip it a little bit, that might be the kind of move you make where you're trying to save a little money. So keeping Lowry on his next deal doesn't hurt so much. Um, it's, and it doesn't seem like he's willing to take less than his market value, which is fine. But this maybe makes it easier to keep him, which I think if you're the Raptors and or if you're just me, like I kind of like that. So 
their winners, um, it's hard to know if they could have won any bigger without being sure what the available packages were, though. Yeah, I, I would call them a winner, too, with the caveat that if they do let him walk for nothing this summer, like, then you lost. Because I do yep. think, you know, they have the hardest remaining schedule in the Eastern Conference, but I actually think they're going to end up making the playoffs. Because if they get, I'm assuming they're going to get to, you know, they're, they're kind of approaching full strength now. And Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Fleet, OG Ananobi, and Pascal Siakam have just played in so few games together. I think it's under 20 this year uh, that we haven't actually seen the Raptors. And look, they were hitting their stride before COVID just ripped through the roster after all those injuries. Uh, but even this, you know, maybe they work out a sign and trade with another yeah. team over the offseason. So there's still the chance that he leaves. And I like the idea of them not giving up on this team this season totally because, you know, you look at them like they're not it, they still would have had Fred Van Fleet, OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam had they dealt Lowry too. And at that point, it's like, are you going to sit all of them for the rest of the year? Because you're not you know, you're not going to enter the realm of the you know a top four pick. So I like that they've kept their options open with cap space. I struggled hard in real time with the Norman Powell for Gary Trent Jr. trade. I ultimately landed where you did, where it's, I think you can ask yourself, you know, and Gary Trent Jr. has not been shooting the ball well lately. Uh, it basically yeah. sort of aligns with shortly after like halfway through the games that CJ McCollum missed basically still, you have to ask yourself, you know, Norman Powell has been spectacular. Uh, the only player who's, averaging you know at least 17 points while matching his shooting splits inside and from beyond the arc this season is Zach Levine and he's going to give you more from scratch offense than Gary Trent Jr but moving forward I think he's going to turn 28 in May or whatever it was he's 27 now would you rather have Norman Powell at 484 or Gary Trent Jr at 460 because Gary Trent Jr is a little bigger but Powell's longer I think the bigger difference is that one, people are going to be more drawn to a player who cre creates his own shot a little bit more and, and definitely puts more pressure on the rim. Uh, that seems to be a conscious decision that the Blazers wanted to make. Uh, but he's an unrestricted free agent, whereas with restricted free agents in Gary Trent Jr.'s case, going after them is a little bit inherently prohibitive because you're tying up your cap space in someone that you might not get. So unless there's just a super hyper aggressive team that uh you know wants to throw him that you know the alan crab special let's call it at this point <laughs> the last blazer who sort of kind of came out of nowhere and, and got super paid it feels like toronto's gonna be able to keep at a more reasonable cost and i didn't even think about that in the context of what you just did and well maybe that makes it easier to afford lowry and if you're you know if you were on the fence about powell you know like is this a situation where you could have had like either powell or kyle lowry for you know between 20 or 25 million a year and now it's you might like can you do you get two of these guys as Lowry and Trent for like is it thirty seven or something like that a year between those two just seems like a better allocation of of equity. The thing I was a little bit puzzled by was the Matt Thomas trade because he has another year left on his deal and they basically trade him for a second rounder in the forties. But I guess they have that. That's what led me to believe that hey maybe there's actually an extension with Lowry in the works because they're looking at it as we have enough of these dudes who are like under six four. Uh, we don't need to like have any more of them. See, I thought I thought that deal, and there were a handful of others, smaller ones that like Miami made, and there, I don't know if there was another Toronto one, but it, but if you wanted to sort of get like you know, be the crazy guy in the basement with the strings and the the cork board and like connecting all the stuff, it's like oh, this means that that Miami is going to go four for one for Lowry or something like roster spots are being cleared and all this other stuff, and so that's why I, I just wonder what. 
what really happened, how close anything was, because there were moves that made it seem like, and then it turned out it was maybe just to to make room for Oladipo or to, I don't know, grease the skid somehow for that. But I, I, that the, the Matt Thomas thing specifically made me think something was going on. But the, the, just the last thing, like for, for Powell, I think indisputably, you know, has had a better year than Trent in a lot. and But it's just a different player. But... He's. I. I do not think Powell's value will ever be higher. Right. Like he's never played. He's never been this good. You know. He's. It's not beyond the realm of possibility that he's just getting better. You know. He's gotten better as an off the dribble shooter as his career's gone on. Uh, he's, he's. Like you said, he's just been ridiculously efficient. Uh, but I just. Uh, if you're going to trade a guy, um, you want it. You want to sell high. And I think I don't know how much higher you could have sold on Powell. And I, again, Trent's 22. You're just, you're just moving the clock back a little bit. You're trimming some of the salary fat. Um, so yeah, I, I was, I was good on that. I, I, there is, I understand the difference of opinion though. I don't think it's, I think it's probably pretty, pretty split opinion overall on, you know, who got the better of that. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. So is Kyle Lowry in Toronto next season? Well, let's, okay, let's say on the Raptors, because who knows if they're allowed back in <laughs> Toronto just yet. Uh... Yeah, I think, I mean, I'd say, I'd say there's over a 50% chance. I think there's, you know, a really good chance he's somewhere else. But if it's, if it's a yes or no, I think, I think not being traded now, even after all we've said and the, the, the prevalence of sign in trades, I think Bobby Marks tweeted something out about how, like, and since 2019, there've been like 16 of them. And in the previous 10 years or whatever, there'd been something like four or five or something. So like sign in trades now, when you have a guy that, oh, he's going to walk for nothing. Now suddenly sign-in trades are like way more in vogue, so you're still potentially going to get something. Um, that doesn't answer your question because it would move Lowry off the team. I think if you were trying to move him, trying to get something for him, they would have done it. I think there's a much, there's just a better chance that he stays. Do, do you think he's still gone? Like, is he going to sign with the Heat or Philly or whatever? I, I'd probably peg it as 75-25. He's still there. I yeah. just don't. It feels like there could have been, and I, that's why I want to tackle. I think the three teams that were affected most by him not being moved. Yep. It feels like there could have, if he said he wanted to have gone to Philly, that he said he wanted to have gone to LA, it sounds like that there was a deal to be made. The Heat seemed like it was harder because I don't know what the, the centerpiece asset was for them. Whereas with the Lakers, you know, you could talk yourself into, okay, Dennis Schroeder, KCP. And I at the I saw the reporting said they wouldn't give up THT. No, and effing way. <laughs> I, I like don't necessarily buy that, especially because THT is going to be a free agent. Uh, restricted for early bird so you know he's not going to get super paid for them yeah. still he's going to get more money but it feels like if he had wanted to leave he'd be on a different team the only squad that i th of the three that i think he could have named that maybe toronto wasn't high on sending him to was the heat because one of the packages i saw was i think it was was a kelly olenic in more salary and then kendrick nunn was the framework and it was yeah. like well no one two yeah. Even if you replace none with Duncan Robinson, who hasn't, you know, some of the sheen has worn off of Duncan Robinson, you have to pay that guy too. And I don't care. I want to make this clear. I don't care about uh, saving teams money necessarily. I'm just looking at the realities of how teams want to act. You're not giving up Kyle Lowry for someone else that you just have to pay this summer. 
so or and so that that was the team where I was just like, and maybe that's where we should go. I think the Heat are pretty clear winners here, even though they don't get Kyle Lowry. You got Victor Oladipo for for nothing. That pick swap uh-huh. it was it was kind of the remember how the Knicks got the pick swap from the Clippers last year for Marcus Morris? Yeah. It was kind of like one of those you know wink and yeah that, that yeah good job like you you can say that you got the rights to someone's first round pick in this deal that you're never going to use yeah the heat i have definite winners i i viewed so i i don't know why i do this with the heat but i in all of their transactions i view like what level of flex is this and this is like a 10 on the flex because they they're like they clearly said you can't have hero you can't you know we're not we're not doing anything where we're giving up somebody that we value as like a core piece. Like you can have Kelly Olenek and Myers Leonard or whatever before, you know, they moved in other deals. But, um, and I think it's cause they know that if they really want Kyle Lowry and Kyle Lowry wants to be there, they'll just sign him. They'll just move the money to sign him in free agency. Like, I, I just think that I'm, that is, I'm a very big fan know. by the way of make cap space when you know, you need it. I'm not going right. to worry about it as much in the, the regular season. I, that's why I I have I destroy. We'll get to the Rockets probably, so I'll save that. But carry on, please. No, I was just gonna say, yeah, they so they they basically added, yeah, uh, they get Oladipo for nothing. They don't have to part with you know any of those younger guys that Achua, Duncan Robinson, Hero, anything like that. They get Ariza in a separate deal for basically nothing. Um, Who's the third guy they got that's escaping me now that I can't remember? It's another expiring. Um, Damn it. Whatever. Anyway, they <laughs> they're going to get Lamarcus Aldridge. Probably they're just going to sign him on the buyout market. Is that so, the third guy? I'm trying to even think of the, who's the third guy they got. In there's trade. a third guy now. I can't remember. Maybe you can look it up while I remember. I'm I'm, I've, I'm the one who graded every single trade, and I, I can't <laughs> find it. So I'm actually a little bit nervous. <laughs> um, but yeah. So they first of all, they, so the the way that East is situated, and we got to talk about the Nets and Bucks at some point, and Philly. Um, there's those three at the top and then it's just like a yawning chasm and it's like Charlotte is fourth. Like it's just a whole separate class of team that's below those three. But I think the heat now probably should be viewed at least in terms of their playoff ceiling, like right there with maybe you put Brooklyn a cut above everybody, but with that upper echelon and they gave up nothing to get there. Like Trevor they're, Ariza. They're just, yeah. Ariza was What's the that? one I said. <laughs> oh, you said, so B, Oh, I thought, Oh, you missed Bielitsa then. Oh, I Bielitsa, you that's who I missed. Yeah. Bielitsa. I you- so, which is, whatever but yeah three expire three guys that can come off the books if they want to or they can keep and they gave up zero really like practically speaking um and they and they know their cap space goes farther than anybody and if they want to clear that cap space they can do it and then they can go sign lowry and so they just surrendered nothing added themselves to like the they could make the finals again tier of the east and are positioned even better long term than they were before. It's just like the Heat just stay winning. Um, they, I just it's a, it's impressive how consistently they just get the little the little things right that add up to the big things. Yeah, and Chris Silva is kind of interesting, but like just not someone you don't have the time to develop him in Miami huh. right now. And Kelly Olynyk had played well next to Bam Adebayo, but you know, Elite, he's he probably would have left in free agency this summer. You aren't going to resign him. Bielita replaces at least the spacing. He's shooting poorly from three this year, but he'll shoot better in Miami. That's just, that's going to happen. And you have Ariza, who's going to spend more minutes at the four next to Adebayo, and then Andre Godala was logging some backup four minutes. So you didn't you didn't really need anyone you traded. Avery Bradley hasn't played in a long time either because he's injured. So you did basically get Victor Oladipo for, for nothing. And I actually, it's funny because I don't know how much, I don't know how much better that off they are because the idea of Victor Oladipo is so perfect for this team. 
But Victor yeah. Oladipo has not actualized the idea of Victor Oladipo for quite some time. But he, if any team is just going to help reboot his value, I would definitely still be concerned. I feel like this has flown under the radar, but he had he had a right quad injury that he missed a bunch of games in Houston with. This is yeah. this is still happening. Yeah, uh, but I think there's value in now having him. You're going to just know more of the vitals and how he fits with your team before free agency. So I'm with you on that front. Like this was just a huge win for them. The Lakers, I don't think you can call them losers just because they they were so limited in what they can do anyway. I'm not going to be mad. You know, I think we should just pencil in Austin Rivers for the Lakers on the buyout market at this point. They need anyone who's okay dribbling and, and shooting while LeBron is out. That being said, if you could have gotten Kyle Lowry for KCP, Schroeder, and Talon Horton Tucker, would you have done it? And Kyle Lowry turns 35 the day that we're recording this. Would you have, would you have done that? A hundred percent. And so yeah, I, I did call the Lakers losers in my Lowry winners and losers thing I wrote today. And it was because like that package is a joke to me. I, maybe I'm not as high on THT as, as I should be. I think there's some Lakers sheen that's on him. Maybe the Duncan Robinson's missing sheen landed on THT and he's got some extra because he plays for the Lakers. Which like, I don't he's, know if you've heard this. I can't unhear it now, but Zach Lowe said THT sounds like a drug. And <laughs> that's just ingrained into my head now. You, every time you say THT, I think you're talking about some contraband or something so it's the designer drug on the news like the the six o'clock news that says this is new drug called tht and your kids might be doing it so let's, <laughs> let's tell you all about it no, but so i call the lakers losers really like in sort of a macro sense because like that package just was not competitive to me with what some of the other lowry suitors could have put on the table and that really is like the best that the lakers could do which I, to me, like the reason I, I labeled them losers is because it really does speak to like, this is the cost of building a title winner slash title repeat title chaser is that the cupboard's bare. You don't have picks of any consequence. Nobody wants your firsts anyway, at least unless you're going to put them way out there. Um, and like they just, the, the bonus is they're as appealing a buyout destination as any. So they don't really have to have a lot of good trade assets, but like that was about as good as they could put on the table. And to me, if I'm Toronto, that's below what I'm not saying what Toronto and Philly did offer, but what Toronto and Philly could offer. Like imagine the best offers that they could have realistically put on the table for Lowry. You'd have much more pick equity. You know, you'd have better younger players you could have thrown in there. Just the Lakers potential package was just like just not competitive to me. I, I Maybe I'm evaluating guys differently. I don't know. I think KCP is useful. Dennis Schroeder is fine, but would they have had long-term places in Toronto? Did you want to pay? Part of the reason it seems LA was willing to move Schroeder, um, and this is from uh, The Athletic, is that he wants like $20 million a year in his next contract. So Toronto's not going to want to pay that. And THT is going to get a new contract where let's just say he has to, you have to pay him the mid-level. I don't know. Yeah, he's 20, but like there's not enough of an NBA sample to know that you want to do that. I do think that offer just in in terms of the serviceability of the of the pieces, it beats out Miami unless they're including Tyler Hero. So I'll go right. that far just because the actual sure. salary you're using matters. But Philly, the reporting from The Athletic was they didn't want to include Matisse Thibel. The thinking was, and this is probably how you tie this to the Nets and the Bucks, is that you have Ben Simmons um, and now you have Thibel to help you defend the, the Kyries, the James Hardens, um, looking at Milwaukee, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton. And that kind of makes sense. Uh, but was it like, you know, was it Tybal in this year's first? Because I probably still do that if I'm Philly. I'm not sure about you. If it was like, you know, Tybal and Maxi in a first, 
I get it. In which case, if that's what Toronto was asking for, they weren't moving Kyle Lowry, and I fail I failed to see how they were gonna move him to the Lakers for THT. If that was their asking price from Philly, the Lakers offer was never getting Kyle Lowry. It wasn't a decision they made. The decision was made for them. So my yeah. two follow-up questions to you are would you have moved um Thibel in Milwaukee plus a fir- uh sorry, Philly plus a first or Maxi? Um, and then the salary filler. And then if you're the Heat, would you have actually given up Tyler Hero for Kyle Lowry? Oh, man. So the first one's easier because <clears throat> I'm just thinking one of the things I, I, I in talking about the George Hill acquisition, which is like great and makes perfect sense and is an awesome value play. Um, but still, the Sixers, I think that just wasn't it. Like, I just, that's just not it. And, and I think specifically for the Sixers, I think Lowry was the guy. Like they, that's the guy, and it's not just the hometown thing. It's all the stuff that the Sixers don't have that Lowry would provide, from you know reliable spot up shooting to just like someone who's not going to wilt when it matters. To he's got championship experience, all these intangibles, and then just filling the steady playmaking void that you know if you're giving all these minutes to Shake Milton and Tyrese Maxey and and like you know those guys are exciting and they have long term value as would a first round pick, but Lowry to me on the Sixers, it's sort of like the argument someone would have made if we were talking about like 2018 PJ Tucker going to the Bucks, like, oh my God, he fills every void that they have, right? Like that would have been perfect. I feel, you know, Lowry's older, but Lowry to the Sixers always just, he just, he just gave them what would have given them what they needed. So you probably, if I were running the Sixers, you probably could have got a lot out of me for for Kyle Lowry. Like you, it would have been hard to not give up everything because I just believe in him so much, and I think he fits. So yeah, you, you could make the list longer of what I would have given up if I were the Sixers to get Lowry. Um, from the Heat's perspective, that's tougher. I think Heroes probably become a little overrated, um, and but the difference is if i'm the heat i'm this is i'm going to flex again and say i don't have to give you shit because if i want this guy i'm just going to bring fly him down to miami next summer or this summer and right i'm going to sign him like that's just that you you can't get that the sixers aren't in that position um the heat the heat have a little bit different uh some different ammo i think so so probably i would have been a lot stingier with the package i would have offered if i were miami yeah, and it's even if you don't have cap space like the Sixers, just the reality of knowing Lowry wants probably two years, fifty million in his next deal, mm-hmm. whatever it's going to be, that does have to factor into the calculus. I call the Sixers winners overall because if you're going to pivot, talk about a hell of a pivot for George Hill. Which is, yeah, and you created so you recreated a roster spot in the process of getting George Hill, gave up players you weren't using, and uh, you only gave up three second round picks. I say only, and I know George Hill hasn't played because he has right thumb surgery. Um, George Hill is shooting 60 plus percent on drives this year. There are only five players who have taken as many shots on drives that are matching or exceeding that he's shooting 38 plus percent on threes. And that's probably low for him. And he gives you someone who could play off Ben Simmons, someone who can also um, run some units without Ben Simmons. He's not as dynamic as Kyle Lowry off the dribble. That's for sure. Um, But he's still fine defensively. And I don't know if this factored into the Sixers thinking, but maybe you're a little bit more hesitant to go all in without kind of seeing what's going on with Joel Embiid's bone bruise. We still don't really know how much time he's going to miss. Yeah, he should be back before the playoffs. And maybe the argument is, well, there's urgency now because Joel's always hurt. This is the season he's been in the MVP discussion, like go all in. Um, that you were able to sort of you know fall into George Hill after that, I think is huge because he's on a reasonable salary next year, or you pay him $1.3 million to 
to go away. And what you've also done is you've saved all these assets still to where if there are other deals that materialize, there are things that you can do. I guess the hard part now is you don't have any real salary fodder. There's still Hill's deal, but like you're using, you're going to lose Danny Green's salary after this season. So I think they're winners. Had they done nothing, I probably would have called them losers just because if, if you're, the Bucks already did it with P.J. Tucker. And I think you could call the Bucks winners uh, at the deadline as well for um, what they did with P.J. Tucker. Also, the Nets not really turning Spencer Dinwiddie into anything right now. Maybe they're still the favorites to land you know, some players in the buyout market. Is that where Otto Porter Jr. is going to go? Because it seems like he'll get bought out. Uh, we're still waiting on the Drummond destination. That'll probably be out by the time we publish this, though. Uh, but you also got P.J. Tucker from them. But you, those two teams needed to do something to keep pace with, in theory, what's going to be a full-strength Brooklyn squad. So I think Philly did really well to get a player like George Hill for for what they got him. And it's I don't even view missing out on Lowry as a, as a disappointment because uh, it just feels like they kept their options open without... I know he would have been a substantial upgrade, but now they've given themselves some more long-term flexibility or optionality as opposed to had you gotten Lowry, you would have mortgaged part of your future and been locked into another really expensive player. Yeah, no doubt. I, I just like... My evaluation just threw all that out because I was like, I want Lowry on the Sixers because I think he puts him over the top. And so the, the the related thing is I just had, like, not overthinking it, I had Brooklyn and Milwaukee as winners just because the Sixers didn't get Lowry, just for this year, you know? Like, in terms of, of well, that's a, that's less of a threat now. As, as useful as George Hill is, the Sixers are not as threatening as they, like, potentially could have been. So for those two teams, um, I, I think... I think they they come out, you know, probably pretty good. Even though I was really Dinwiddie was a guy I was very surprised didn't move. Were you? I, I yeah, I guess I was surprised. I just couldn't find the team. The only team that I found actually that I thought would really want his bird rights was Orlando because they wouldn't have cap space and I assume they would still want to be good. But clearly they don't. So like that kind of, you know, threw that all out the window. That's a perfect segue. I don't want to steer this where you don't want to go, but we had like just who who whose side of the whole trade deadline day did you like better, the Bulls or the Magics? I think I like the Magics better, and maybe I'm romanticizing future first round picks here that they got, and Chicago protected all of them, so you're not going to end up with the the number one pick in the draft at any point. It's top four protected the first this year, and then I don't I don't know the protections just yet in 2023, they're, but it was. I think they're both top four, is what I read. So. And look, Wendell Carter Jr., you can some people might view him still as a first round pick. The the Bulls clearly didn't. What they did here that I think is slightly risky is by using this summer's cap space, now they can't renegotiate and extend Zach Levine's contract. And people in the Bleach Report comment section were like, Zach Levine's not a free agent until 2022. Who cares? What they could have done is ensured he never became a free agent by giving him a raise next season. It wasn't just an extension. You could actually tack on salary to the final year of his deal. Now you can't do that. Maybe it matters more that you showed him you want to compete. But at this point, it seems like unless he just signs an extension, which would surprise me a little bit, you're letting him hit the open market. And beyond that, it just feels like Vooch is a player who's so good. And he's he's like second or third in made above the break threes this year. Just absolutely bonkers. He's not the player who vaults you into contention. They have these two all-stars now. And I'm I'm on the Zach Levine bandwagon. But neither he nor Vooch can be the best player on a championship team. Like, they just don't. Those players normally need to be these two-way guys, and they're mostly not bigs at this point. So the Bulls are better. I would expect them to be very much in the postseason conversation. And maybe Aminu even helps them if he's healthy. Just they can use wing defenders too. I just, 
this felt like a process rushed a little bit. I thought the new regime would have had more patience and that we would have seen them more likely to sell to leave. You know, now he's, you know, Arturis and, and crew have left an imprint on this roster, but it's still like you do all this and then like Larry Markinen is still on the roster. I'm just, I'm so confused. I'm just so confused. So Daniel Tice this- ended up on the Bulls. Like, I How did that happen, by the way? I, I thought Daniel Tice was like a useful piece in Boston. I, he, clearly, they're just all Robert Williams all the time now. No, no. well, they wanted to duck the tax after getting everything. Well, that too, yeah. yeah. But yeah, why I mean, him? I mean, I, well, I, well, because Tristan Thompson has like, not played up to snuff. And, you know, you have mo- – it, it feels like they knew how shaky that decision-making was because they acquired two other bigs. Uh, was it Wagner? And who's the one I'm missing at this point? Uh, it's been a weird trade. It's been a long day. It's been, uh, it's anyway. been a long day. So I'll, we'll get to the Celtics obviously in a second, but this just felt, I don't know how, where you land on it, but this just felt a little, a little rushed. Like if it felt like maybe not the, the right time or it wasn't the right player to do this on. I'm not saying they would have signed someone better in free agency than Vooch. I think you can also make a case that Vooch has been top 30 this year. He's been so good. It's, I just, I, I don't know. You, right now you need Patrick Williams and or Kobe White to hit all-star status and there's a chance that happens but does that timeline align with Zach Levine and and Vooch at this point he has two years left on his deal I I don't think the price was unreasonable and I gave them a B so I'm not trying to shit all over this deal but I I just don't think they were at the point to to make this type of an all-in-ish let's phrase it that way play so I the the part that concerns me is essentially that what if the Bulls sort of gave up what they gave up? What if, what if they just are basically making a miscalculation about where they are? And what if what they did basically puts them in the position the Magic have been in for the last like half decade or so, where it's, yeah, we're, you know, we're going to win roughly as often as we lose, give or take. Like we might be five or eight games under 500 one year. We might be right around it the next year. We're going to fight for the eighth seed. And, and like that was the problem in Orlando, and that's what I think a lot of people appreciated. I certainly did. Orlando finally just ripped the Band-Aid off. They just the, they threw the treadmill out. They're, not, they're off the treadmill now. Like, and I think everybody just been clamoring for them to do that for years, right? And Vucevic is sort of like the, the central figure, like the symbol of like, here's how you become mediocre, is you have this player at this position with this skill set as your most highly paid, you know. And so now the Bulls have signed up for that. I think you can make the case that Levine is better than him, but they are like weirdly similar in what you said in that they like, it's not a question of, are we sure that this is a core that can get us where we need to be? It's like, no, the benefit of the doubt is not, is really not there because neither of them has demonstrated the ability. Now, Vooch, like there was some stat that he's just never played with like anybody of any quality, like in his career, Vucevic has just been like all by himself on an Island. And so Levine is like, a different setup for him. So maybe, you know, he's just even better than he's been in Orlando, which is hard to believe with, you know, another really high level offensive player. My concern again is just that the bulls gave up a guy they picked high in the first round plus two more picks that won't be, you know, mega star top four picks, but could be another seventh pick or whatever. And they might've just done all that for, you know, instead of being, fighting for a playing spot they're like the sixth seed or something you know what i mean like i just it's a big jump to make i feel like i'm just this is bad podcasting because i'm just roughly saying what you're saying but that was my exact concern 
It's like objectively getting Vucevic on a deal that declines for a team that needs offensive help. Like, yeah, boom, great, awesome. Makes a lot of sense, helps. But what if all you're doing is signing up for seasons of 500 instead of 10 games under or 20 games under? I don't know if that's worth it. Yeah, I'd be with you there. Do you think that the Magic, though, on the flip side, got enough for Vooch? They get two first-rounders, uh, a second draft flyer on Wendell Carter Jr., and they got off of Aminu's money is basically and they how get, this unfolded. They get Porter, too, right, which is just coming off the books, basically. Yeah, so they free up cap space, which is that's all over the place, though, because they did take back Gary Harris's um you know they got rid of fournier but then they took back gary harris or Aaron. they're gonna have cap space this summer it's just that that cap space one they're not at a point where i think they should be using it on anyone who's too good unless it's a restricted free agent but also um they can that'll probably be more valuable to lease out the cap space if there are teams that want to offload money and attach yeah. assets to it yeah no i think i think in answer to your question they did get enough because those firsts in 21 and 23 they're going to convey and I think there's they're more likely to be in the you know top fifteen than than past you know than from sixteen to thirty. Um, even if the Bulls are a little better, they're not going to be so much better that you're getting like a the twenty sixth pick or whatever. I wouldn't think. Um, and I think Carter has some as you know. There's a, the the idea of like second draft guys. You know, Carter. It look Carter is disappointed, but like he's been hurt. He played for Jim Boylan, who like kind of ruined him. And we still, you know, he still theoretically, like, theoretically fits the modern NBA, like, in some ways better than Vucevic did, just because he might be able to defend in space. We That's, like, part of the reason he was drafted. We think he might be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a flyer goes, like, that's fine. And, you, you like you said, you, you know, getting more cap flexibility, just changing it up. Just, it's just the idea of, like, let's clean house a little bit, I think, has a value just like psychologically uh, whether you know that should be considered in the package they got from the bulls i don't know but um i'm good with it i mean nobody else was able to get two firsts for anything uh today that's a I great, great i guess aaron gordon comes closest but you still have to take back a bad contract and because rj yeah. hampton and a first is basically i would say still two firsts because rj hampton is still a rookie right i i ultimately was okay with the price that orlando got for vooch i was okay with the um with the Gordon, what they got for him, because you know Gary Harris can, when he's healthy, can still defend, and he used to shoot threes well. That was a thing that that happened. I I did not the the trade of theirs that I really just eviscerated was the Evan Fournier deal. That was all it took to get Evan Fournier was cap relief and two seconds. Uh, Jeff Teague, obviously. My whole thing is like, if you were the Knicks and this was the asking price, you have you had basically just as much flexibility to work with because you had a, a little bit less cap space than uh, you know, Boston, but Boston still sent out a salary, so it amounts to the same. You couldn't beat that with a Detroit second. Uh, so I'm, you know, if that, like, that's just a whole Knicks thing. I understand. I'm fine with the Knicks not really buying. I'm just saying if that was the cost for Fournier, the Celtics clearly prioritized we're getting off this money this season because what there were teams that I I'm almost positive would have beaten that, but maybe they didn't want to take back any long term money. Yeah, that I mean Fournier is I don't know if he's a needle mover for Boston because he's sort of going to do like what Gordon Hayward did, except less on defense and just generally be not as good in everything else. But that like that's just two seconds. Like who cares? I don't I don't understand. It makes me think that 
because leading into the deadline, there was there was some indication that it might be Gordon and Fournier going to Boston, and you know, well, of course, classic. Oh, the Celtics were close. You know, they almost they almost pulled it off. I wonder if as that fell apart, if the Celt- if if Orlando was like, oh, well, we know someone else is going to want Gordon. What do we do with this guy now? Because he's expiring and nobody or he's going to be a free agent and nobody seems interested. I, I don't know. But that is like a really low return for a guy that could get you, you know, 20 more often than not every night for, for whatever that's worth. Yeah, look, he's not going to, it doesn't look like he's going to be a part of Boston's closing lineup, whereas Aaron Gordon might have been. Just you already have Marcus Smart, Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum. I'd assume all four of those guys are penciled into the closing unit. You're not putting Tatum or Brown at the five and playing Fournier, I would say, 99 times out of 100, if not 100 times out of 100. Still, they just needed that. He fills a few voids for them where it's one, they need dependable bodies beyond their top four players. And that might even be a stretch at this point because how reliable has Kemba been this season? Perking up, like it's, I, he'll get there. He'll be fine. Uh, you needed just more wing depth behind uh, Tatum and Brown. And Fournier, no, nothing special defensively, but he's 6'7. And you just, you know, they're getting rid of Jeff Teague. Like, they needed, even with Marcus Smart, you need to upgrade the Jeff Teague minutes just having a ball handler. And so during stretches where you have Tatum and Kemba Walker both on the bench, go ahead and make Fournier, like, your de facto point guard, or he can play with Smart, and they could trade off, whatever you want to do. I, I like the deal. I just couldn't believe that that's all it took to get yeah. him. And that's where, you know, I, I think the Magic, are they winners? I wouldn't call them losers, but that was the deal. I think they were losers in that deal. I'm convinced that they could have gotten more for him if had they, I guess, not have prioritized. We need, you know, to just get rid of this money. Yeah, it's hard to. I, I think I agree. Um, there was never going to be a first, though. Like you were never getting a first for him. So then you're talking about what young player is out there. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, we mentioned Gordon a little bit. Do you want to go to Gordon to the Nuggets? I feel like the Nuggets are a pretty big winner, um, but I do think that like there's definitely some nuance involved in like, is Gordon how much better is Gordon than Jeremy Grant was last year? And we know how far they made it. There's, you know, I think they're a winner, but but I'm curious what your thoughts are on on the Gordon to to Denver fit. I would argue they're the biggest winner of the trade deadline. I'm trying to figure okay. out, you know, just look. The Clippers didn't make a great move. The Lakers didn't make a great move. Uh, you know, the Blazers. The we haven't talked about the Blazers implications of Norman Powell. That's probably where we should go next. But like nothing happened at the top of the West that I think would make you question where Denver stood. And so they improved. They were already top five, top, like they could still get the top four. They'd done nothing. And I like Aaron Gordon as a defensive matchup for a Kawhi or a LeBron more than I would a Jeremy Grant. I don't think he comes with as reliable three-point shooting. This season is an outlier, but is it outside the realm of possibility to think that he's going to shoot okay or, or career high clips on catch and shoot threes in a Nikola Jokic powered offense? Absolutely not. And I, I like that they went and made this move because I think it might have been fairly easy to talk yourself out of it uh, because Denver's had a lot of success since Michael Porter Jr.'s been moved into the starting four spot. You look at the data for the Jokic-Michael Porter Jr. front courts, those lineups are suspiciously stingy. Uh, opponents are not shooting well from three at all, and they don't get to the rim a ton. They're shooting well once they get there. That's pretty predictable with those two. And while Michael Porter Jr., I feel like, has been a better help defender this season, that's not like, no, you can't bank on that. And now Aaron Gordon comes in, and we've talked about how he shouldn't be used as a three. Kind of sneakily, or subtle, like subtly, understatedly, whatever you want to say, he's improved his ball skills over the past two seasons, where he can make these athletic finishes, 
He's been a better passer, but he's also just not going to have to do that stuff as much in Denver. So you can use him as a four on offense, but then he is your four on defense. Like him and Michael Porter Jr. are, are so interchangeable. And I know they got JaVale McGee. That was another nice move that they made. Yeah. Um, so, but you could go smaller at the five now if you want with Gordon at the five. I don't think that they'll do that much because Jokic is playing, you know, let's say 35 minutes a game. Plus, you're going to play actual backup centers, whether it's Green or Millsap McGee, whatever they, you know, Zeke, uh, Najee. So, I, I, there's more optionality there. And the other thing is, is you didn't trade Will Barton here. You traded Gary Harris, who makes more money, uh, is shorter, uh, not as long. And better defender, but just like he wasn't going to go up against the, the biggest wings. And you have like enough guard depth because of Will Barton and Facundo Campazzo and Monte Morris and Jamal Murray, clearly. Also, the thing I did not realize, did you know Aaron Gordon is younger than Gary Harris? And he's also cheaper because Gary Harris makes so much money. And the contracts just align perfectly looking at the length. Yeah, no, I I, I think this is going to be so the. To me, like the narrative with Gordon for several years has been about he's constantly, it seems like whether it's him or it's us saying like, we want to see more growth. We want to see more playmaking. We want to see better three-point shooting. We want to see him as a pick and roll ball handler, like all this stuff when I think, I think this is going to be a good test with Denver of what if Aaron Gordon only did the stuff that he's already really good at and kind of like trim the fat, right? Because, like, if I have Jokic and Murray, I don't think I want Aaron Gordon doing a whole lot with the ball unless he's cutting and catching the ball and dunking, hitting a spot-up three, like attacking the second side when the ball gets swung to him. Like, I don't need him trying to utilize the skills that he's developed, like, as his career has gone on. I want him to just defend like crazy, be athletic, play up a position instead of down, you know, more often. and I, so this to me is going to be a test of if all this, all the fat in his game was like him trying to do that and wanting to do that, or if it was Orlando saying like, you got to do this because in Denver, he will not be asked to do a lot of the things that he's not great at, or has had to work really hard to become okay at. So there's a chance that we get like optimized Gordon. I hope we get optimized Gordon because then it's like, there's no question that the Nuggets are getting just this like a supercharged version of what Jeremy Grant was. Like it's hard to compare him to this year's Jeremy Grant because that this he turned into a different version of himself. But the guy that was on the roster last year that really mattered in the playoffs and in the bubble, Gordon could be that and more, as long as, you know, he sort of appreciates that like Jokic is the fulcrum and Murray is the second guy that's going to be doing stuff. And even Will Barton might be better to be making decisions. I don't know. Um, but, but I like the idea of, of Gordon just focus, just playing to his strengths all the time. And if that's how it goes, then Denver gets really scary. Um, but that's really never been how it's gone. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see if that's possible, you know, cause some players, some guys doesn't matter where they are. They want to play a certain way. Um, I don't know if that's true of Gordon, but I think we'll find out. Their closing lineup now just seems to make so much sense with Gordon, Porter, Jokic, and Murray. And then I guess Barton would be the fifth. If you wanted to go really big and just say, hey, we're going to play Porter at the three slash two, Gordon at the on the wings and just play a Millsap or Jermichael Green. I don't know which team would compel you to do that necessarily, but they're, those four guys seem to make so much sense together. And then even, look, if you throw Will Barton in there, like that five-man unit is going to destroy. What, what do you think they do? Let's say they get Utah again. Like who's guarding Donovan Mitchell? Because that was Harris, you know, when he was healthy last year. Like I, 
I do think that they're a little thin and they don't have Tory Craig anymore either. I mean, not that that's news because he's been gone all year, but um, they don't have the guy that's going to wrangle, you know, your, your small, they, the bigger wings. I don't, I think Gordon's fine, but I don't know if you're going to put him on your scoring, your scoring like two slash three. Um, and I don't know what, what the nuggets do with that. That's not really, I don't expect you to have an answer, but it's more of a concern now. Yeah, I guess at this point you have to. I mean, Jamal Murray has shown that he can guard up, like guard better. He he defended, I wouldn't say outstanding, but he played well on defense in the bubble. You have Monte Morris. You ha- you have PJ Dozier too. You know, is that something that you look at? Maybe uh, I, you know, but that that's a great. You have Gary Clark now. Maybe that's maybe it's him. I, Different I Gary. Uh, All the Garys got traded today. Did you see that? Every guy, see- every guy in the league named Gary. Tough day for Garys. Uh. Only th- there's only three Garys in the league, which seems at once high and incredibly low. <laughs> That's like I didn't even think of really that in the context, and I I think I saw a stat that Gordon has defended like a ton of smaller players this year too. Uh, but still, you you don't want him. He's he's not your Donovan Mitchell defender. So that's a. That's a great question. Uh, some people might argue you don't need to defend Donovan Mitchell, but yeah, maybe not. Uh, what do you think about Portland? We did already talk about the Gary Trent Jr. Powell stuff, but I I do think they made their decision might be more interesting than the the Raptors to me. Well, I mean, it seems like it seems like they're valuing powell's bird rights right because and so clearly they they think he's i mean he got off of hood's money which was non-guaranteed next year though so i don't know how much that really matters um i guess i don't i guess if i like this for toronto kind of across the board i have to not like it for the blazers even if even if like with mccollum and lillard healthy trent being a sort of smallish or guard i don't know if that's really fair but he's not a big wing um and he's just a catch and shoot guy. Like, I don't know how many opportunities there were going to be for all three of those guys to play together. I guess it's easier to imagine Powell with two small guards. Cause like, that's what he did in Toronto with Lowry and Van Vliet. And that worked, you know, fairly well for a fairly long time. Um, I guess I just don't like Powell as much as Trent. When you factor in the, the cost, the age, you know, the, all the peripheral stuff, like on the court, I think he can help them cause they do need someone that can attack the basket. Who's got a little more length. Um, but but I don't know. It's 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 a strange move to me. Um, I I more long term than short term because I guess I can see the thinking behind wanting Powell uh, on the wing more than Trent. But but I don't know. Even that's kind of a close question just for this year to me. It feels like an all in play for this year, and maybe an admittance that they didn't want to pay anybody this summer because Gary Trent Jr. was going to be cheaper, and I don't see. You know, if the thought process is you don't think they wanted to invest as much in the backcourt, Norman Powell poses you with the same dilemma, only more so if he's if the market for him is really going to end up being between eighteen and twenty two million dollars a year. You know, maybe it tapers off, but he's going to be he should be more expensive than Gary Trent Jr. And like you pointed out, and we already pointed out with the Raptors, there's that age difference. I do think he's better for you this season just because he is a little more dynamic on offense. Uh neither of them are just these fantastic passers. I guess he's. I, you said Trent might be the better defender. I think I'm with you, but I don't know. Like Powell's longer, he's probably more inconsistent. I just, I don't know that I. Uh, I saw some people think that maybe this like portends something that happens with CJ McCollum over the offseason mm-hmm. that this sort of flames out. I suppose that's an interesting thing way to look at it. I just don't. I don't see it. I think there's a chance this makes them 
a better on offense, which I'm not sure if that's where they needed to improve. <laughs> and by that, I mean they didn't need to improve on offense if if they believe CJ McCollum and, and Damian Lillard are going to be healthy. I don't know. Is I feels like a lateral move on defense. Maybe it's a slight upgrade because Powell does feel more physical than GTJ, but I don't know yeah. that it moves the needle enough to justify the all-in play. At the same time, if you didn't want to play Gary Trent Jr., you know, maybe you're just looking at what he's done as an outlier and what he's what's happened over the past month and a half or whatever it's been is is more, you know, in tune with his normal. Then I sort of, you know, Rodney Hood wasn't doing much for you anyway. Kind of take a stab in the dark here. I I've thought about this trade. I've written about this trade. I still just don't necessarily <laughs> understand it from the Blazers perspective, even though I don't think that they're worse because of it. It's not it's a weird trade to call lateral because there are just very different players. But it just yeah, I agree. I just in the end it's kinda I'm just surprised. Like I did I'm surprised that you know, you'd think that if Powell were going somewhere it would be a team with like a just a glaring void on you know, in a, a the, the scoring guard slash wing spot. And like I mean, I don't know. I, I guess if you yeah, I don't know. We're just going to go in circles and say, like, huh, that's a weird trade. So I, we're not getting very far on this one. I think we agree. What do you think about Boston, where I, the, the Evan Fournier one was a no-brainer, but were they winners in the end when they end up giving away the best player in a three-team trade with the Wizards and the Bulls? Don't get, I would say, when you look at the players they got back, they didn't get the second-best player back. That's Daniel Gafford. They didn't get the third-best player back. That was Troy Brown Jr., they probably got the fourth best player back in Mo Wagner, but Mo Wagner and Luke Cornett, and you're sending out Daniel Tice and Javante Green. It was to duck the tax. I, I don't. It doesn't make them losers overall. Um, they're probably a winner just because they got a really good player in Evan Fournier for virtually nothing. I'm just curious as to what. I understand the tax implications too. The, you'd rather have the, the clock is going to tick next season when you have Tatum and Brown both on their maxes kick in. Kemba's still on his max. I understand it. This would be the year to duck it, uh, especially if you do plan on considering to pay Fournier. It's just like you traded. You know, may, is Robert Williams better than Daniel Tice right now? I mean, he's the one that missed the the game tying three point attempt the other night, which is to say against the they playing the was that the Nets? No, it was the Bucks. They're playing the Bucks. Yeah, which means that he was on the floor in crunch time. He was the big which is on the which is often the case and was was always the case in the Celtics playoff run last year. Like I remember, you know, I, I happened to just be covering a lot of those games and Tice really mattered. But, you know, against the Heat, you know, there aren't a lot of guys that sort of have the physical profile to match up with, with Adebayo. But, you know, Tice, similarly undersized, similarly mobile. He's not in Adebayo's league, but it was like, he, you know, I remember thinking like, this is the future of the center position. We're going to have a bunch of six, eight, six, nine guys that can stretch the floor a little bit and, you know, pass capably and do all kinds of this stuff. I was just really, I think in terms of just pure shock, the idea, and maybe I'm just totally too, way too in the bag for Tice, but like, I was blown away that that's the guy they had, they moved to, to duck the tax. Like I just, it, it I thought he meant, meant more to that team. I guess, I guess maybe not, but I think ultimately this I I am a little disappointed in what ended up happening with the Celtics overall, just because that trade exception was just this big shining, you know, path to to getting us, you know, getting a star. And maybe like we never should have thought that was realistic. But 
I remember thinking like, well, that's a way for them to get Vucevic if they do something else, or that's a way to get this, you know, you name it. Like Fournier was not someone I would, Aaron Gordon would have been higher on the list, obviously, to use that on. I think it does matter that they've got something like 11 million of that that they can use up to, uh, up through this off season, uh, before it expires. But, yep. um, you can't, you, if you'd pull, if you had pulled Celtics fans, you know, when the trade exception was created and, you know, listed 10 guys and Fournier was one of them, like he's not in the top five that you would have wanted, or that was realistically gettable. Like he's got, that has to register as a disappointment. I think that that's who you ended up getting, even if he is a good player and they gave up nothing to get him with those picks. But like, Man, that's it. I, I, that was my that was my thought with that is that that's really what they're going to use the the trade exception on after we spent months wondering. You probably wanted someone who could be a part of your closing lineup, whether that would it was help. you know or Sean Holmes. I don't know if Harrison Barnes would have worked. You you definitely could play him at the five or in smaller lineups more so than Evan Fournier, Aaron Gordon. Obviously, that seemed like the the it, that felt like it was going to be the peak that they could hit leading into the trade deadline, and it kind of felt like the no brainer. But I don't know. You know, does this mean that they preferred Evan Fournier to Aaron Gordon or that they just didn't want to pony up for Aaron Gordon? Because part of the, you know, the trade with the Nuggets, yeah, they gave up RJ Hampton and that first round pick was the appeal that it was basically those two first. But like it was also compensation for you're taking on Gary Harris's money. You could have taken in Gordon just like you took in Evan Fournier. And, you know, maybe you just didn't have that same intriguing young player. Maybe Boston wasn't willing to do Peyton Pritchard in a Aaron Gordon deal. That seems like it would have Aaron Naismith doesn't feel like he has that same sort of cachet. Romeo Langford, because he's barely played and been hurt so much, definitely doesn't have that cachet. Uh, they're winners to me just because I I'm fine. If you're, if you would have told me that Evan Fournier is the player they got with part of their trade exception, I would have been fine with that from day one. The, really? Just the, yeah. I like, you don't get stars with trade exceptions unless you're going to put more assets in the deal. They didn't get Aaron Gordon probably because they weren't willing to pony up for Aaron Gordon. And if you weren't going to pony up for Aaron Gordon, who are you ponying up for? Why didn't they use it on Rudy Gobert, Dan? Like, remember That's when that point. was a thing? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, why didn't they just take Miles Turner and Doug McDermott back for? I'd rather have Miles Turner and Doug McDermott than Fournier. They wanted Victor Oladipo as well. Apparently, was like the oh, rumor. Yeah. They could have had. I think it was. Heard the Indianapolis Star. I hope I'm not missing the, the outlet here. That it was Hayward, a, um, I'm sorry, McDermott, a first and Turner. That is, you know, Evan Fournier as opposed to like no, <laughs> that you want you want that deal. And now you look at you could look you could frame it this way too. They lost Kyrie Irving, Al Horford, and Gordon Hayward, and they turned those three because they two of those guys turned into nothing. Turned it. it they, Evan Fournier is the only type of value they have mined from the departures of those three to this point. That doesn't sound great, does it? Like that's a, you know, a less than ideal situation. And, and you're, and you're still a good, you're still a good team with a bright future, which makes it incredibly frustrating to try to evaluate Danny Ainge. Like I hate, I hate that. Like I still don't know if he's good or not. I think he is, but like, man, the the misses are really piling up. The last actual trade slash teams I wanted to talk about before asking you about just a couple buyout candidates, Hawks Clippers. The deal was the Hawks received Lou Williams, a 2023 second via Portland, a 2027 second, that'll be LA's own, and, and cash. And they sent the Clippers Rondo, who is making $7.5 million this year and next, and next, guaranteed, fully guaranteed. Do you have I'm a question? Just, 
<laughs> that is my question. That the deal. Who is this? Is pretty clearly a, a what the fuck moment on on the Clippers part, right? Well, yeah. Except everybody in the league, coaches, players. Like I'm looking on Twitter right now, and Terrence Mann just pulled out a card that he's had in his wallet of Rajon Rondo since he was in middle school. So like Rondo is just like revered. That's because it's by the last everyone. time he was good. <laughs> it's too easy <laughs> but, but accurate uh yeah he's revered and like the playoff rondo thing i guess it finally was a thing last year um draymond green i think tweeted like of course draymond loves him because guys that fancy themselves as like savants uh in terms of like understanding the game all like each other and they value that skill set um but yeah like the money's crazy the idea that like, oh, the Clippers have their point guard now, like that, that hole is filled is like insane to me because, you know, Rondo is just outside of a handful of isolated stretches. It's just not been good for what, seven, eight years. Like, I mean, it's been a really long time. Um, I think the best thing you could say for the Clips is that, and it's hard to get there, is that like Lou Williams was just not going to be on the floor to close games in the ones that matter uh he would be exploitable he's been exploitable by good opposing offenses in the playoffs and his scoring just is a luxury and we don't need it but like he clearly is going to help the hawks i think um and and rondo i i'm going to need to see it i'm going to need to see that he actually improves the clippers because i just i'm very skeptical and yeah the guaranteed money next year is wild I don't understand why they had to be. If you would have just done Lou Williams or uh, Ray John Rondo, I still wouldn't have liked it. But it's like, okay, Rondo was valuable to what the Lakers did during the playoffs last year. Yeah. Maybe he gives you more point guard defense in the playoffs, which will help. And he is someone that you can manage the game through during crunch time. But the Clippers have the best offense in the NBA overall. I find it hard to believe that they're going to be, you know, their, their crunch time offense has already started perking up. It's been the defense that's the problem. I don't know that Rondo helps you on a consistent enough basis there. Again, maybe this all changes in the regular season. And I will say, we know he's improved as a shooter at this point. The people who say that he can't shoot, you know, he's not hitting off the dribble threes. They're ultra wide open threes, I would call them, but they're going in it, you know, league average clip or better. Just the asset equity it took. And people say, well, why does it matter? The Clippers are trying to be good now. Well, it matters because I, at least they didn't give up the Detroit seconds. That's what you could say. And so those are assets you can use and other things to make happen. I would say the bigger deal is that now because you have Rondo's salary on your books for next season, just looking at the early projections, it looks like it'll be impossible for them to spend the non-taxpayers mid-level exception. And I don't care about them paying the tax, but that the full MLE is going to get you a better player than the mini MLE, most likely. Yep. Well, it's a so, perfect example. Like they're not getting Ibaka for the mini. They're, you know, like that's just just there is a huge difference between those, even if it's just the player and their representation being like it looks a little better on us if we want to get that full MLE just as opposed to like now we're being valued as the mini MLE player going forward. Like that actually matters. And the Hawks look to get assets for Rondo, who was clearly their worst deal sign this season. I guess you can argue it was maybe people might argue it was, they might argue it was any one of their free agent signings, to be honest with you, given the injuries Gallo's perking up, but he's making a ton of money. Chris Dunn hasn't played yet. Uh, But Rondo was the most puzzling one because they already had Dunn on the books at that point. And the minutes without Trey Young have still been a disaster this year. So I know that Lou Williams, and there's noise in there because of the uh, injuries to Bardanovich missed a ton of time, Gallo missed some time. So you have not been at full strength during the trayless minutes. 
And Lou Williams is going to help you there, even though his foul baiting doesn't really work in the playoffs. So, and look, you're just off of Rondo's money now. And with John Collins' contract coming up, or you're going to have to pony up for him, I, I do, you know, the reality of that matters as well. Very quickly, what did you think about Dallas getting J.J. Redick? Um, I think it's, I, I think he hasn't looked good, generally speaking, this year, which is like what happens when you've been around for as long as he has. Um, you know, I, I think it's good to put as much shooting around Luca as possible. Um, I think this is them, this is the, the Mavs maybe recognizing that, like, we kind of miss Seth Curry a little bit. Um, but I, I, that said, I think, you know, getting Richardson and sort of putting better defenders around Luca also makes sense. Um, I just am not, I, I don't know how much Reddick's going to matter in the games that Dallas really needs to be winning in the playoffs against good defenses. Um, like in theory, if Reddick were, you know, as the, the same player he's been, he was two, three, four years ago, or like really prime Sixers Reddick, um, that that's a big deal because there's your sort of secondary source of offense if you can get a handoff game with him and, and a big going. Um, but I just, I, yeah, I don't know. I, clearly, even even Melly, like Melly, theoretically is a shooter. He was in that deal too. Very. Um, it seems like, yeah, very theoretically. I remember I sort of bought him when I like the first handful of games I saw him play when he came over. But that was the height of my Melly fandom, I think. But yeah, I think they just needed shooting. And like, look, if if you're trying to get shooting and you got expiring money or whatever to get rid of, Reddick's a good way to go, you know. He, and he's still functional shooting, like hitting yeah. off balance threes off the dribble. The other thing, he isn't. The last time he is ranked outside the 95th percentile of scoring efficiency out of the pick and roll was 2016-2017. So it's not a huge part of his game, but it's generally accounted for between nine and 12 percent of his possessions. That's just another mm -hmm. option there. So and for two players, you in a second, uh, you know, just players you weren't in a one do, and James Johnson that you just weren't going to use. And I think James Johnson could potentially help the Pelicans play him next to Zion up front. Uh, might be an interesting thing to look at. So I'm pretty much in agreement as well. We haven't disagreed enough on this podcast. Bad, bad, bad radio or whatever it would be called. Can you do some, can I give you some rapid fire buyout candidates and you can tell me whether you think they're bought out or not. And if you say yes, I'm going to ask you for your best potential destination for them. I'm ready. I think the top one now, Otto Porter. <laughs> I was not expecting you to start with Otto Porter. Uh... He will he will be bought out because it's more fun to go with the exercise that way, and he is going to sign with Brooklyn. Oh, full circle! So they'll have picked up Tyler Johnson, Alan Crabb, and Otto Porter after giving them all ridiculous offer sheets that were matched. That's, that's how Brooklyn does it. I would agree with you on him getting bought out. I could maybe see him like winding up in a. I guess Brooklyn makes makes too much sense, but I'm trying to I just couldn't it. think of anybody else, so that's where we are. Yeah, and um next up would be Kelly Olinick, now a Houston Rocket. Hmm. I don't think they'll buy him out because the Rockets clearly don't like paying any more any money money for things that they well, I don't know. <laughs> Why are you starting with Kelly Olinick and Otto Porter? Uh can my answer be like I don't care? Um they will not buy him out. Do you think he's going to get bought out? I have no idea. If he's going to give money back, Tillman Fertitta is going to pounce at it. So yeah, I guess that's true. He's going to end up back in Boston. That's how. That's how they're going to get their you know upgrade their actual big man rotation after losing Tice is get Kelly Olynyk back. 
Um, he was already bought out, just as we know. Lamarcus Aldridge and everyone knows he's going to the Spurs. Drummond was bought out. Where do you think Drummond is going to end up? Seems like the Lakers, right? That that yeah, the Lakers are going to get somebody, and Drummond feels like sort of the highest profile guy, which is whether that's deserved or not. Um, I feel like the Lakers are, are going to be and end up with him. People have floated that maybe the Knicks with their cap space would give him a multi-year deal now. That's insane. Why? Why I would lose faith in like all of the things that they've done well this year if that happened. The why th- do you want him? The thought process would be that you don't want to pay Mitchell Robinson, but I don't want to pay Andre Drummond if I'm the no. Knicks. I'd rather pay you know, Mitchell Robinson. You know who else doesn't want to pay Andre Drummond? Everybody. Like <laughs> they, he got traded for basically nothing to the Cavs, and then the Cavs couldn't get nothing to trade him. So his value went from nothing to less than nothing like there's just, like there's no scenario where like should drummond make i don't know if you read chris herring uh who everything he does is good but he just wrote a, a thing for si about you know the total illusory value of a guy that gets a whole bunch of rebounds in the modern game which is what drummond is and it's just like i would not be surprised if drummond really struggled to get an ml like to get the mle next year um, I just, I just don't, I don't know what team values 15 boards a game when it comes with just horrendous offensive efficiency and no demonstrated ability to, to like help even terrible teams be decent. Like, I just, I don't know. I don't know. So the Lakers on the minimum, great. That's totally different. Like the, the, all the calculus changes if you get them on the buyout market for the least possible money. But just as a as an asset, like his value, I think going forward is just I mean, it's through the floor. I don't I don't know what it is. If the Knicks were going to use their cap space on someone right now in a multi-year contract, I'd rather see them take a flyer on Otto Porter just because they don't have a ton of two way wings. They have a lot of just one position or one way players where, you know, uh, Alec Burks is a two and Julius Randle is a four, although he's played some good minutes of the five this year. But they, they have Reggie Bullock as a two-way wing. You could probably throw R.J. Barrett in there. He's close to it. But the idea of Otto Porter, someone else who can maybe space the floor if he's healthy and give you some bigger wing minutes. Uh, Gorgie Jang. Cannot believe he wasn't traded, first of all. Um, just as like as perfect salary filler. Um, and as a big who can block shots and, and make threes. Like I, I, I'm really surprised there wasn't. I guess his salary is prohibitive. But um, no, I think, I think they may hang on to him. Um, because I, let's go, let's get real weird and say, what if you could sign and trade him in the off season? <laughs> what if that's well, who's a way signing to get, and trading for, Jay? I don't know, nobody. Um, I don't think he's going to get bought out. I think like, yeah, I, I thought he was going to get traded. I, I, you, I totally hadn't thought about him, but he, I should have put him way atop my list of guys. I was surprised did not get moved. I could see maybe Toronto if he does get bought out, but I don't have a feel for it because the, the Grizzlies are kind of good. So you yeah. want to get rid of Jang. Yeah. Uh, let's think. Okay, Wayne Ellington. Maybe not a buyout situation. He probably just gets waived because he's on the minimum. I mean, he's like, where, where, where would he not fit? You know, like who, what, what contending team just needs someone who can shoot on the move? I'm trying to think. Like, I would say the Lakers, but their guys don't really shoot on the move when LeBron is healthy. Yeah, I think like, I don't know, Milwaukee. Do they have, are they even going to have a roster spot? I don't even know. Um, I think they can free up one now pretty easily. They, they signed somebody to a 10-day contract, right? I'll, I'll look really quickly. But 
That's a what good if he went back to Miami? That's where he like became Wayne Ellington. Remember when he had that season where all he did was shoot and possibly contested threes at a dead sprint and was really good at it? Yeah. So, and I, oh, the Bucks do have a roster spot right now. So he could go to Milwaukee as well. Here's one that I'm more interested than other people, I think Austin Rivers, now of the Oklahoma City Thunder. That feels like a Lakers to me. Um, I'm trying to think of someone else that needs a, a, a clear, like, third or fourth guard that you could sort of give the ball to on against backups and get something decent, get some decent defense, get some decent catch and shoot three, get some decent drive and shoot a floater type of thing. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I, the Lakers are going to get like one or two of these guys. I, and rivers feels like I'd be curious oh. to see him. I, I agree with the Lakers. I'd be curious to see him on the warriors. Interesting. I think I think their roster situation certainly they could use all the help they can get offensively. Um, I think what they're going to do because they traded Brad Wanamaker and Marquise Chris for for zero because they wanted to to get their tax bill down um, as much as they could. And I think the plan is probably going to be Nico Mannion and Juan Toscano Anderson sort of get bumped up from their what's I don't know I don't know what you call it now but two way status basically. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man, we didn't really talk about the Warriors kind of disappointing. They didn't do something. Cause now it's like, if you don't resign Kelly Oubre at a market rate, you lost that salary slot. And I don't think you want to sign Kelly Oubre at the market rate. So the Warriors might be losers too, because now they're really over a barrel with a guy. I'm not sure they're in love with. Or are they winners? Because now all of a sudden we were saying, well, just see what you can get for Wiseman and or the mini pick. But now it's like, well, what doors do they open by having Wiseman, the mini pick, and their own pick this year, which is clearly staying in Golden State? There's a world yeah. in which they end up with two top seven picks in this year. There season. is. Absolutely. No, I mean, they. We, we've talked about this before. Um, it is a tra It is a, a bummer. I was going to say travesty, but that's too strong. It's a bummer that this is going to be a wasted year of Curry's prime. They're not, they're not a title contender. They're not close to that. But, like... There wasn't a move out there. I think we talked about this in conjunction with like, should they trade everything for Beal? And like, even then, I think I said, I don't feel like there's a single move out there that puts them in the like bracket of the league where they want to be. Um, and certainly that that was clear now, or that is clear now. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a weird year for them. It, it's it's kind of strange when uh, they're just giving giving players away in the middle of the season because they're trying to get their tax bill down and are sort of admitting that like this is a development second half of the season now instead of really going for it. This name's a little bit awkward because he has a team option, but Avery Bradley in Houston. Um, I can't imagine he's going to, wow. If he stays in Houston, he's probably never going to play. Um, it'll be one of those, like he's on the roster, but he's not doing anything. Um, let's see who could use Avery Bradley. Oh, who do we? Who are we just saying? Who guards Donovan Mitchell? Maybe Denver. Stick him on Denver. They need a. They need a guy you can you can put on the ball. And I would I would think he doesn't. You know, I would think he could get the the basically mini MLE money again. So that getting you know mm. passing on the team option for now at five point nine million wouldn't be a big deal on his part. That's Denver's a good one. I like that one. Uh, let's see one or two more names here before I get you out of here. Or is there, there's really no one else of consequence. Uh, Kemp Birch. In Orlando, the thought process being just clear the deck now for Mo Bamba and Wendell Carter Jr. You've already 
decided that you're rebuilding really lean into it but i guess is, is he just too cheap too valuable i think he's to too like, hey. yeah i think he's too cheap and i think like because he's under contract next year too right no he's I'm, he's free and clear. He? he's free agent okay well then i was gonna say like are we sure mo bamba is someone that they want to rely on um I think he's too cheap. I don't think he's, you know, I'm. He's another guy I thought that might that might get traded just because he sort of theoretically could help, you know, a handful of teams as a as a as a second stringer. The one that stands out to me is just because they don't have bird rights on him, and I assume he'll leave after this season. Sterling Brown. I was surprised that the Rockets couldn't get a second round pick for him. And Daniel House was the other guy. I don't. They won't buy him out. He's another year left on his contract. But it was like, why is he still there? I guess he's so cheap he doesn't matter. But I thought Sterling Brown was someone they. They could have moved for a second-round pick, just shooting well from three, playing good defense. I feel like he would be in very much demand. Uh, Denver for Sterling Brown. There you go. Who's going to defend Donovan Mitchell? They got to find. I think increasingly, the more I think about it, they got to find somebody for this. <laughs> but if they, they should just avoid the Jazz, and they don't have to worry about it. Uh, Hassan Whiteside with the Kings. <laughs> are you just? Are you trolling me? <laughs> just there are teams that want a big man. Yeah, I mean, and he was available to be signed for the minimum salary this past offseason, and he did do that, and any team could have done that. I don't know. Who, I don't know. I don't know who wants – because if you're theoretically like a – I'm just shitting on all of your hypotheticals, which is a terrible way to do this exercise. But, like, if you're in the buyout market, you're probably thinking, like, we need a guy – first of all, we're an attractive destination, and that's because we're a winning team. Um, when We need a guy who's going to matter – in the playoffs and like Whiteside is none of those things. So I don't know. I, 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 I guess they could buy him out, but like, what's the, what's the point? Also the yeah. Kings seem to think that they're, they're, they're in win now <laughs> mode still. So maybe he matters. I didn't mind. I, I think I already said this. I didn't mind except for the Kings actually giving up value for redacted. I didn't mind what they did. I liked the line right there and they'll have to figure out, just figure out the return home situation later. And that's, Maybe we didn't talk about the Rockets is the team where it's like, what did you, and we'll wrap up there. Now, by the way, you're laughing at my buyout candidates. You laughed at Otto Porter and Gorgie Jang. Who is the most impactful buyout candidate then that you were laughing at? Oh, no. I was laughing because I just I thought you were going to start at like the top of the list or I don't know Auto Porter is the top of the list. Who's who's above them? I don't know. I guess I under I over underestimated the the buyout market. Who are we talking about? What, what Drew, was your, your, yeah? Is Drew Drew Holiday going to get bought out? Where is he? Gonna, where is he <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the final final thing is just the the Rockets. What are your impressions of how this? I guess it's the Victor Oladipo situation ends, but you could even say about there. I mean, they traded PJ Tucker at the trade deadline basically as well. It's bleak. Um, I just think, can you think of another franchise whose outlook is, is sort of like more ominous than Houston right now? And I mean, I know that like they, you know, they have a fair number of draft assets and, and all this other stuff, but like every move, uh, not every some of the many of the moves that they've made are just like it just reeks of of ownership kind of i don't know just just prioritizing and just prioritizing like we need to cut costs and this is gonna suck and i that's just how it's gonna be like i just I, i mean to really walk away from just just say just everybody's already said this but like 
they really did pick Oladipo over Lavert, and to some extent, I think Jared Allen. Like that, they could have just at least had Karis Lavert. Um, and it seemed like the reason that they picked Oladipo, I don't know what the reason was, and and they did it's reportedly try to keep him because they offered him that extension that he turned down. Um, you don't think they knew like, that he turned it down? That he was going to turn it down? They actually didn't want to pay him twenty two point five million dollars a year. Maybe so. Maybe that was just. PR spin. I don't know. It's just really bad. Like when you look at the the series of transactions from stemming, starting with the Harden trade, like it's rough. They like don't have a body really of any consequence from that trade. They got a bunch of future picks. Um, I will say that when we did that fake GM project for Bleacher Report and I ran the Kings, I got at least one unprotected future pick first rounder from the Rockets. And I, I knew at the time, Dan, that that was a brilliant move. <laughs> Everybody said I was an idiot. So I just want to be recognized now for my foresight because I felt very strongly that the Rockets were a sinking ship and they're underwater now. So I, everyone, they can respond, you know, when you post this podcast, like I just, and I'm sure everyone's going to listen to the very end. So they're all, they're all going to hear this. Uh, I just want to be recognized for, for my genius. You have been vindicated. Thank uh, you. Just someone who knew I would be. Wasn't appreciated during their time unfortunately and i'm mostly with you on the rockets i saw some people spin it at the only reason you get oladipo in that situation and it was they basically chose karis lavert uh, between karis lavert and a second round pick and victor oladipo so they gave up karis lavert and a second round pick for victor oladipo in my eyes the only reason you make that deal is because you think you can move victor oladipo for more than lavert and a second round pick whether it's now or whether it's down the line after you trade him uh resign him excuse me I don't buy into the notion that, I mean, maybe they were thinking this way, but if they were, that is fucking stupid. But this is not a cap space situation where, okay, great. Yeah, you turned Victor Oladipo into cap space then, because that's basically what you did. If you're not going to bring back Avery Bradley, if you're not going to keep Kelly Olenek, that pick swap is not, it's not a pick. It's a pick swap that's never going to be used. If if Miami, if that pick swap conveys, something is terribly wrong in Miami. That is, <laughs> so... It's and with Karis Levert, my argument would be over the summer, looking at a free agent market that had already deteriorated by that point, knowing there were going to be teams with cap space. Am I wrong to say that you could have traded Karis Levert into a team's cap space while also netting an asset in return if you ended up wanting cap space yourself? No, I think that's absolutely plausible. So I'm going to give the Rockets the benefit of the doubt and say that they're not that. You know, and I'm gonna I'll put that on Tillman Fertitta. I'm not gonna put that on Raphael Stone. I'm like you're not. They can't be that stupid. It this wasn't a cap space play. I think it was a gamble that probably blew up in their faces. So I commend them for moving him rather than holding on to him and either letting him walk for nothing or being tempted to resign him if he wasn't playing that well. But the, the decision in real time, just because Lavert gave you so much more optionality because he was younger, maybe had the lower peak, but you maybe. know. Maybe. Yeah, definitely. He's not making an all NBA team. That's that no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. So that it's but he was under contract for another two years at under thirty seven million in total. So it was, you know, he's not gonna ruin your tank, uh, if that's what you were trying to do. So I just the decision looked bad in real time and it looks even worse now. Yep. Yeah, it's rough. It's I think it's gonna get real rough in Houston. Like Paul, Steven Silas, man, that guy. Did you see that, that video where he was just broken in the post game presser? No, I, but it's been that's that's been the vibe for like months. They 
I, I forget what the question was, but it was while they had lost their 20th game in a row. And he was basically asked, do these losses start to weigh on you? There was just a, like a 15 to 20 second pause. And like, I don't know if he was trying to compose himself. I'm not criticizing or making fun of him. I would be in fucking tears if I signed on to coach a team that had James Harden and even Russell Westbrook at that yeah. point. And it turned into, into this, <laughs> into yeah. what it has become now. So I'm not, if that's what was happening, you know, I, fe- I totally feel for him. It took him 15 seconds, 20 seconds to answer. And he was just like, yes. And he sounded so broken, defeated, disgusted. I felt really bad for him. Yeah. It sucks that he's been such a lifer and such like has had, has been in the league for so long. And this is the first head coaching job he gets. And it's just an absolute nightmare. Feel bad I, for him. I will say like Tillman Fertitta, I feel like doesn't make his, isn't talked about as much right now. I don't, you know, I don't know what to necessarily think of Raphael Stone. I think he was dealt, you know, he inherited not the best. Yeah. Team. I mean, Daryl Morey was like, I'm surprised Daryl Morey didn't extend PJ Tucker before he left. And like, <laughs> this is a parting gift. But yeah, I, this, I don't know how you have faith in this organization. They're, where are they headed? Christian Wood is the lone bright spot, Deshaun Tate, and then these picks, which now you have to trust them to draft well. Not good. No, it's not. This podcast was good, I thought, though, Grant. Thank you for giving me almost 90 minutes of your time. It was a throwback podcast. We've been at an hour or less the past few times. If you guys are not following Grant on Twitter already, remedy that immediately. He will tweet, like, sometimes up to six or seven times a month. It's The volume is really just... We're talking P.J. Tucker getting up shots on offense volume. That's a selling point, by the way, because I don't want to, I don't want to inundate your feed. That's the, you don't want that. You don't want that tweeter in your feed. You want, no, you, you want, want the tweeter the, who you remember, like you follow. That's just probably like, go. Oh, Grant, like how, yeah. what's he up to? Or you oh, want to yeah, get, guy. you want to get the notifications without actually having notifications turned on because I get Grant Hughes tweeted for the first time <laughs> in a while. It's my phone, but he's at GT underscore Hughes on Twitter. Does a fantastic job covering the NBA for Bleacher Report. Grant, thank you so much for this. Uh, I mean, you know by now that you'll be back on soon. So thank you in advance for all your future appearances. My pleasure. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.